This morning we're going to examine the story of a young man by the name of Gideon. It's a familiar story to some, but to others maybe not so much. Uh, the text I'm bringing the message from this morning is Judges 6 and Judges 7. That's two chapters, and if I were to read both chapters to you at the beginning of the message, we might get through all 65 verses by lunchtime. Uh, so in the interest of saving time, and I know how boring my voice can be, I'm going to tell you the story while throwing some key verses up on the screen. Uh, the setting of the story is important. Israel has been back in the Promised Land for less than 100 years at this point. Despite God's redemptive act and delivering them from slavery in Egypt, his provision of manna and water during the wilderness wanderings, and his supernatural empowering them to overcome Jericho and other cities in the Promised Land, they drifted away from God. They began to worship the idols of the Canaanites, most prominently Baal and Asherah. So God raised up what are called judges. Not, no, not like those judges. Um, these were men and women who called the Israelites back to their devotion to the one true God, Yahweh. There was a cycle that took place over and over again. They would drift from devotion to God and pursue false gods. God would allow the enemies to steal and pillage and harass the Israelites. They would call out to God for deliverance, and God would raise up a judge who would deliver them. It's a lot like a child who has problems doing their homework. They'll bring home a bad grade, get grounded, bring home good grades, turn their video games back, and then boom, another bad grade. Wish my son was still here. That was for him. It's a vicious cycle. Gideon was one of those judges, and here's the story. One day, Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine vat. Now, normally wheat would be threshed out in the open with ox treading on it. Uh, or, or pushing a pole that would grind the grain in a container, kind of like what you see up there. Um, so he has this wooden object beating the wheat to separate it from the stalk and the chaff. And apparently, this vat was hidden behind the structure. Now, why was Gideon hiding? Well, there was this group of bad dudes called the Midianites who were stealing and pillaging and harassing the Israelites and taking all their food. So Gideon is hiding this so that they don't see him and steal the grain. While he's doing this, the Lord shows up. In Judges 6.12, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. O mighty man of valor. Here's Gideon hiding. And God calls him a mighty man of valor. Calls him a warrior. Now, as you're going to see, Gideon sees himself as anything but a mighty man of valor. Gideon says, Well, if the Lord's with us, why are the many events kicking our backsides all the time? In 6.14 it says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this strength of yours, save Israel from the control of Midian. Have I not sent you? Gideon's looking around. He's like, wait, what? You're talking to me? Like, my family is the smallest in Israel, and I'm the youngest in my family, and well, I'm afraid. God said, but I will be with you, and you'll be victorious. Amen. Now, you'd think that would be enough for Gideon, right? God himself has shown up in some kind of physical form, but no. Gideon asked for a sign. Before it's all over, Gideon asked for a sign three times. The first time, Gideon prepares a sacrifice and puts it on a rock, not on wood. And God touches the rock, and fire consumes the offering. It's on a rock. 
gives his father. After this first sign, Gideon says, okay, all right, what do you want me to do? God said in Judges 6, 25 and 26, that night the Lord said to him, take a bull from your father's herd and a second bull, seven years old, tear down your father's Baal altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this stronghold in an orderly way. Take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah pole that you will cut down. And he does this, but he doesn't do it during the daytime because he's afraid. He's afraid of the townspeople. So he does it at night. They find out he did it anyway. And the people come after him to kill him. But his dad talks him out of it. And God says, I want you to blow the horn and call the Israelites to battle the Midianites. But Gideon asked for that second sign. God, I'm going to lay this fleece on the ground, and if it's really you speaking, make the fleece wet with dew, but the ground around it dry. He gets up the next morning, and that's exactly what had happened. But Gideon the fearful, I'm calling him the fearful, because he's afraid. Ask for a third sign. He says, God, this time make the ground wet to keep the fleece dry. Like, that's going to trip him up. Gets up the next morning, and sure enough, the ground was wet, but the fleece was dry. So Gideon's good to go, but God isn't. He tells Gideon he's got too many men. Now, he has about 32,000. The Midianites are over 135,000. And if you're not so good at math like me, it's about, he's outnumbered by about 103,000. God tells him to thin it out. He's outnumbered by 103,000. And God says, no, nah, thin it out. So Gideon says, well, if you're afraid right now and don't want to fight, go on home. And you know you're outnumbered by 103,000. How many of you are going to go home? About 10,000, I believe. Anyway, God says, nah, you still got too many men. Lord said to Gideon, you have too many people for me to hand the Midianites over to you, or else Israel might brag, well, I did it myself. I don't want you guys to think that the victory was something that you did, so then them out again. This time, Gideon got them to drink water out of the stream. The ones who drank it out of the stream, he sent home. The ones who pulled it up in their hands, he kept. How many out of this 32,000 did he have left? 300? 300. Man. Really? <laughs> I had to do something. But the Lord on their side, they rout the Midianites and run them out of the country. So what are the pieces of this story that we can relate to our own stories? How do we overcome our fears and live with boldness? We must face our past with honesty. In 6.1, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. You've got to be honest about your past. They knew that they had done evil. And what, what did it get them? Seven years with Midian. When we're prisoners to our past, we view our gifts and abilities as insufficient. Amen. We view our life experience as mostly a string of rejections and failures. And the result is that we become fearful. Sometimes fears are tied to the failures of others. 
That was the case of Gideon. Apparently, he wasn't a Baal worshiper. But he was living in fear of the consequence of the failures and disobedience of those around him. Sometimes fears are tied to our own past failures. This is the case most of the time. For the Israelites in general, there was no peace in their lives, and they lived under the fear of their enemy 24-7, 365. I like how Andy Stanley puts it. You only make peace with your past by owning your peace of the past. Sometimes facing fear means seeking restoration. You have to tear down the altars. Seeking forgiveness relieves fear. And granting forgiveness relieves fear. We must see ourselves with clarity. In 6.12, the Lord is with you, mighty, O oh mighty man of valor. Gideon didn't see himself that way. But God saw something in Gideon that Gideon himself didn't see. The reason we struggle with insecurity is because we compare our behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight through. You're the only one that knows what you go through. All you see from other people is their highlight reel. You see what they want you to see. They don't want you to see the mistakes. They want you to see them scorings. We have to stop listening to the lies and stop listening to what others may be saying and stop listening to our feelings and start focusing on what God says about us and how God feels about us. How do you see yourself? Weak? Timid? A failure? Unlovable? Unsuccessful? Unable to overcome the inner and outer struggles of your life? I promise I'm done with that. When we give in to fear, we give in to a perspective about ourselves that just isn't how God sees us. God knows you're behind the scenes. He wants to be a part of your highlights. If we don't work extra hard at retraining our neurosystem, we're going to continue to experience fears from our past. Roger Pittman, a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, once said, one way to help patients diminish the impact of an anxiety-producing memory is to guide them to form a new memory that inhibits or extinguishes expression of the fearful memory during any recall attempt. That's a whole lot of big words. I'm not a Harvard graduate. I'm not a psychiatrist. It's still pretty easy to understand what he was saying there. Ephesians 1 reminds us that God chased us. He chose us. He loved us. He redeemed us. He rescued us. He adopted us. He sealed us and marked us as his own special possession. Romans 8.37 reminds us that we are more than victorious through him who loved us. Amen. Let me recommend that you spend some time reading two chapters in the Bible. Ephesians 1 and Romans 8. I know that I know that I know that if you, no matter who you are, read those two chapters, your whole perspective about yourself will change dramatically. God chased us and chose us, and loved us, and redeemed us, marked us as his own special possession. 
No matter if you're fearful like Gideon. We must see our future with security. In 6.12 it says, the Lord is with you. In 6.14, am I not sending you? In 6.16, but I will be with you. In 7.21, every man stood in his place all around the camp. But the men in the camp ran, shouted, and fled. 135,000 versus 300. What was the difference there? God. God. All hail the power of Jesus' name. God. They weren't scared. They went in there with 300 people and took out 135,000. We call ourselves Christ followers. Can we not stand on the promises and character of God when fear knocks at our door? I like that quote. When fear knocks on the door, let faith answer. Yes. Gideon responded with faith. The result was that the enemy was conquered and the fear was vanquished and Gideon ended up being mentioned in the great hall of faith list in Hebrews 11. hard to be scared when you're doing what God tells you to do. You can test him all you want. He wanted three tests. Every single time. God was like, dude, I told you. You got this. You are a mighty man of valor. You are a warrior, whether you want to believe it or not. All you have to do is listen and follow in faith. Amen. When you're scared, go to God. I'm going to leave you with one final verse. Psalms 34, 4 and 5 is two verses. I'm sorry. Uh, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and became radiant and their faces are not ashamed. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. There's a lot of them. You wake up scared. Am I going to make it through the day? Am I going to be able to pay those bills? Am I going to be able to go to the doctor and, and, and get what needs to be done done? Am I going to come home? Am I going to lay back down in this bed tonight?
have this morning. If you need God in your corner this morning, I urge you to come down. Whether you need to accept Him in your heart or you need God in your, in your corner for whatever you're dealing with today. Anything. There's nothing to be afraid of at the altar. There's no reason to not come up here and lay your prayers and your fears down for God to help you.